Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com and ADC Media, producers of fine Catholic programming like Light of the East, and supplier of imaging, underwriting announcements, and promos for Catholic podcasts and radio stations. Inquire at ADC Media 128 at Outlook.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. From time to time on this program, we have talked about what I call one of the two pillars of the Eastern Christian spirituality. I've talked about both pillars, but one in particular we're going to talk about now and again and again because it's very, very crucial, especially in our day and age. It's very relevant. It's very urgent in our day and age. Those two pillars, I like to call them two pillars. Or that's my particular spin on presenting the Eastern spirituality, the genius of the Eastern spirituality. For me, it's the two pillars are the liturgical, the sacramental liturgical life and worldview, and also, which goes right along with that, the two must go together, the monasticism, the ascetical. We're going to focus on the ascetical, the monastic, for a bit, because, as I mentioned, both pillars are very urgent today because both are essentially missing from our culture. That's behind all of our problems, really, is the wrong way to look at things. And the Eastern churches are very, very strong on looking at things through this sacramental worldview. In other words, the mystical, seeing everything in light of God, seeing everything as participating, pointing to, and revealing God. And that is very important. That should color how we look at everything and approach everything. If we look at everything with that worldview and approach everything with that worldview through that lens, it always turns to gold in as much as it can be shining gold on this side of eternity. We can't do everything perfect, but we can come very close to doing things wonderfully, gloriously as human beings. We really can, because we're made in the image likeness of God. God made us to reflect Him. So we can do glorious things, not perfect, but glorious. And they come out glorious no matter what it is you're talking about when you approach things through that one correct lens. The other part of it is, and this is something that enables us to live out that worldview, you know, we have to see it first and live it, but how to live it 
requires a certain discipline, a certain dying to self, a certain ratification of our baptismal promise, what happened at baptism. And the word for that is, and that's the second pillar, monasticism. The Eastern churches, many of them, of course, have a married priesthood. And a lot of people may not understand that, especially they're from the Western traditions, because they haven't had a married priesthood per se for many centuries. But what's interesting, and just to prove our point here, the very church that has a married priesthood, and again, you have to be married before you are ordained. You cannot become married as a priest. A married man becomes a priest in the Eastern churches. But the very church that has that is also the very church that has given the world celibacy or monasticism. The two go hand in hand. The reason is because monasticism, as St. John Paul II said so well in his document, Orientale Lumen, from where we get the name of this program, because in English it means light of the East. He said that monasticism is the reference point for all the baptized. The reference point. Yes, the Eastern churches, monasticism is the ultimate witness They're the Navy SEALs, the Green Berets, the Delta Force of the Christian militant church. They are the ones that are the most for real in the eyes of the Eastern churches. And why? Because, going back to what John Paul II said, he used the term baptism or baptized. Going back to that, we see that monasticism is a radical. Radical means to the root. It doesn't mean wild and crazy or extreme. It means to the root, down to the basics, radica, radical, like we get radish. Radish is a root, right? It grows in the ground. So radical means to be deeply rooted, to go to the deep roots of our baptismal promise of Christianity, which basically and always in every moment is a dying to self and a rising to our true self, a dying and a rising, the crucifixion and resurrection we carry out in our very beings in the sacrament of baptism, and with every choice we make in life, no matter how small or large. We either ratify that baptism, or we in some way choose against it. Now, we can choose against it in very, very small ways, but we can also choose against it in very big ways, and that, of course, is very, very serious sin. But monasticism is that radical dying to self, and that living first and foremost and entirely for God. And the monastics, because they embraced that life, they just died to life. They just died to the secular world. They died to materialism. And they lived lives that were very rigorous. Many of them lived in caves as hermits. They would come together at least once a year in community for prayer. Usually that was around Palm Sunday. Others lived in communities. But there was a very strong hermit type of element in Eastern monasticism. Not that everyone should be hermits, but the idea is that they live so exclusively for God, you know, reading the scriptures, they could memorize the whole Bible, praying constantly, contemplating. Because they did this, they left us with great examples, not only of their holiness, but also a great deal of wisdom, especially in the spiritual life, the how-to, the praxis, we call it, of being Christian. And this is almost off our radar today, which, again, is one of those reasons why the Eastern churches have something very urgent to offer. Remember, we're not a museum piece. We're steeped in a lot of history. We're very historical churches, ancient and venerable, but we're not a history piece. We're not just a history lesson. We are very relevant for today, because today we live in a time of real indulgence. We have lack of humility. I think that's one of our biggest problems, is a lack of humility. 
We don't have a reference point for these things anymore. And that's why we need to then look at the example of the monks, which we might consider to be very extreme today or unreasonable, superhuman. But actually, they are the norm. As John Paul II said, they, the monastics, are the reference point for all the baptized. There is a series of books called the Philokalia, and it's basically the writings and sayings and examples, the teaching, the wisdom of the great monks, especially the Desert Fathers. And these are compiled in several sets. I have a four-volume set, and we're going to look at a couple of the volumes here and just look at some of the wisdom of the great monastics. And when you read these things, it's just one pearl of wisdom after the other. And it's a tremendous treasure. Again, it's called the Philokalia. That's spelled P-H-I-L-O-K-A. L-I-A, Philokalia. And you can get these at certain publishers. Uh, for instance, Faber and Faber is the edition that I have. It's out of London and Boston, Faber and Faber. It's a kind of an old edition, but it does exist. You can also look into St. Vladimir Seminary Press or the Cistercian Publications. Places like that may have this as well. But mine is from Faber and Faber out of London and Boston, the Philokalia. In volume one, one of the featured monks there is the early one, one of the founders of monasticism back in the early third century, Anthony the Great. Now, monasticism developed in the deserts of Egypt. See, the monks, they wanted to be very, very serious about their Christian witness and their faith. And they actually, in a certain sense, regretted the fact that there was no more blood persecution, not because they wanted people to to die and, and have bloodshed and be tortured and so on, like the early Christians were, but they wanted that dramatic witness. And there could be no more dramatic witness, as Jesus said. He who lays down his life for his fellow man is the one who really loves. Well, they wanted to lay down their lives for Christ. And since persecution, blood martyrdom, ceased for a while in the church, these monks still wanted some kind of dramatic witness. That's how much they loved God. That's how serious they were. They didn't look for the minimal. They looked for what was the maximal they wanted the most radical witness because they really believe in this Christian stuff. They really understood that they had to die to their passions and rise to their greatest self. And that is not easy. Our passions have a certain tyranny to them, the fallen side. The passions are good because they're, they're basically our desires, our movement, our energy towards God, towards intimacy and union. But they also have a fallen side to them. We have gluttony, for example. Food is good. Eating is good. But we have gluttony. Human sexuality is our way of experiencing God's love. It's obviously good and holy and blessed and sacramental, but obviously it has a downside. It easily goes out of control. And this downside is very powerful, and the devil uses it constantly. So the Eastern monastics knew that asceticism, a lot of severe fasting, a lot of contemplation, quiet, praying of the Psalms, liturgy. And, and of meditating on the truths and staying away from worldly pleasures and allurements. They knew that this was essential. They could not become holy without it. Sometimes that presents the question, well, gee, where do we stand? Because we're actually pretty indulgent and we demand to be, don't we? We like discomfort indulgence and then we say we're really good Christians. Well, the reference point is the monastics. And most of us are pretty far from that. We're going to look at some of the wisdom of the Desert Fathers and these great monastics from the Philokalia when we return. And again, I want to highly recommend if you really want to learn and immerse yourself in the soul of Eastern Christian spirituality, you've got to go monastic. 
You've got to incorporate monasticism in your life. You have to read about them. And one of the best ways is this series called the Philokalia. It's a real classic in Eastern Christian spirituality. It's, again, mine is a four-volume set. Some of them may come in other volumes, but mine is a four-volume set of the Philokalia. When we come back, we're going to read from some of the wisdom of the monks in the great, great writings of the Philokalia. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Can you imagine living a life without love, marriage, intimacy, sex, having children, or friendship? Of course not. I am Father Thomas Loya with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. Why do we desire these things so much? It is because God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a union and communion of persons who united himself with us in what the Scripture describes as a mystical marriage, a fruitful self-giving. Scripture also says that we are made in God's image and likeness, so we too are called to become a union and communion of persons in fruitful self-giving. This is why we cannot imagine living without marriage, intimacy, sex, having children, and friendship. Pope John Paul II said in his Theology of the Body that these are the very things that make us most like God. To find out more about the Theology of the Body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org. You're, you're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to TaborLife.org. That's TaborLife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. We're becoming good monks today, as all Christians should be. We sometimes find monasticism to be something kind of odd, like when people are having struggles with their fallen passions, especially with lust and so on. Sometimes someone will say to them, well, you know, you're not a monk, you know, as if that's something kind of, I don't know, weird or odd, or it's almost like they're disparaging that. But see, monasticism is, as we keep saying here, it is the reference point for all the baptized. It is the standard. And because they embrace this holiness through dying to self, through asceticism, they're able to move beyond the tyranny of their passions. And they left with us a great wisdom. St. Anthony of the Desert, the one who really basically started monasticism in the deserts of Egypt, he wrote, and this is in the Philokalia, he wrote on the virtuous life, on the character of man and on the virtuous life. And he wrote it as 170 texts. In other words, 170 different meditations. We're going to look at some of these today. 
And again, this is only a portion of the Philokalia. I highly recommend that you get the Philokalia. That's got to be on your shelf. If you are in any way serious about learning about the Eastern Catholic churches, the Eastern spirituality, it'd be a tremendous Christmas gift to you or for someone to get for you, or for you to give to someone else that you might have in mind. So here's what Anthony says. Men are often called intelligent wrongly. Intelligent men are not those who are erudite in the sayings and books of the wise men of old, but those who have an intelligent soul and can discriminate between good and evil. They avoid what is sinful and which harms the soul. And with deep gratitude to God, they resolutely adhere to the practice of what is good and what benefits the soul. These men alone should truly be called intelligent. Now, notice what he does there. He uses the word intelligent as we might use the word wisdom. See, for a real Christian, an intelligent man is not an atheist. They wouldn't consider that to be intelligent. We might have some good cerebral kind of aptitude that we call intelligent today. But if you're not wise in the Lord then the Desert Fathers, the great spiritual masters, would not consider you to be intelligent. They would say, well, you know, you're kind of dumb, actually. <laughs> Don't you see God? Don't you see what has to be done to grow in holiness, to become a full, true human, your authentic self, a true Christian? If you don't believe that or see that, you're not very smart. He also says this, the truly intelligent man pursues one sole objective, to obey and to conform to the God of all. With this single aim in view, his discipline, with this single aim in view, he disciplines his soul, and whatever he may encounter in the course of his life, he gives thanks to God for the compass and depth of his providential ordering of all things. For it is, for it is absurd to be grateful to doctors who give us bitter and unpleasant medicines to cure our bodies, and yet to be ungrateful to God for what appears to us to be harsh not grasping that all we encounter is for our benefit and in accordance with his providence. For knowledge of God and faith in him is the salvation and perfection of the soul. We have received from God self-control, forbearance, restraint, fortitude, patience, and the like, which are great and holy powers, helping us to resist the enemy's attacks. If we cultivate these powers and have them at our disposal, we do not regard anything that befalls us as painful, grievous, or unbearable, realizing that it is human and can be overcome by the virtues within us. The unintelligent do not take this into account. They do not understand that all things happen for our benefit, rightly and as they should, so that our virtues may shine and we ourselves be crowned by God. Actually, there's a great deal of wisdom there. We sometimes say, as someone said recently to me, they got diagnosed with a certain physical condition, and they said, you know, Father, I, it's shocking for me. I ask myself, why me? Well, that may be a response that we might all have uh, intuitively to bad news about our health, but at the same time, the question should be, why not you? How are we different than anybody else? We're all born into this world that is affected by original sin, we all die. We all have things related to death. It is difficult when it happens to us. But what St. Anthony is saying here is that we have to see everything as in some way towards our benefit. That's the mark of an intelligent person. Again, we would use the word a wise person, but they use intelligence and wisdom pretty much in the same breath. And I understand that. I agree with that. And 
let's see what else St. Anthony says here. Again, he's writing on the virtuous life. There's 170 different meditations he has. We're just going to look at a few of them because we don't obviously have time to get through all 170, but you will have time if you go and get yourself this four-volume set of the Philokalia. He said that intelligent men have no need to listen to much talk, but should attend only to that which is profitable and guided by God's will. For in this way, men regain life and eternal light. You know, each one of these meditations is a meditation itself. That's why I pick them out and we comment on them. That's, the, that's how you're supposed to read this. You're supposed to read this and then meditate on how it applies to you. This one is very providential and very urgent today, the one we just read. The intelligent men have no need to listen to much talk. There is so much useless talk. We're addicted to din. Sometimes people don't understand what that word din means, D-I-N. Din means like just useless, clamorous, meaningless noise. You know, you can't even pump your gas in peace anymore. I wish I could turn off the switch on the gas pumps that, that blast these videos to you. I don't want to hear that. Why do I have to have this raging in my ear? It's like constant din, noise, audio-visual input into us 24 hours a day. I go to visit people in the hospital, and their TV is always on. They don't even know how to turn it off. The other time I visited somebody, and the person was dying. This last moment of their life, and there's that TV blaring away. I had to search for the, the switch, how to turn it off so I could have this solemn moment of prayer, giving them the, the anointing of the sick. It's incredible how addicted to din we are and to useless speech. And now it's even magnified with things like our texting. Hi, how you doing? What you doing? Nothing. What's new? Nothing. A lot of useless talk. Emails, Facebook, Instagram. And it's very quick and very superficial most of the time because the social media, the nature of it, allows for that. But I think we have to take some wisdom from St. Anthony of the Desert, who lived many centuries ago, and apply that to ourselves. We can really back off on a lot of this communication, a lot of this talk, useless talk, and meditate more, pray more. Like he says here, intelligent men have no need to listen to much talk, but should intend only to that which is profitable and guided by God's will. For in this way, men regain life and eternal light. That's one of the reasons why in monasticism you had a lot of silence. And why they would often became hermits. They didn't want to be distracted by anything or anybody. Now, they weren't being selfish. If you think they were selfish, go ahead and live their life. Most people would not. You know, they weren't being selfish. They were being very, very rigorous. They were being very selfless. They were, in fact, they were dying to self so they could rise to their better self and be of service to you and me to the church, to humanity. As again, these men and women grew in great wisdom and left a lot of great wisdom behind as we're reading from certain excerpts from St. Anthony of the Desert. He also says this, Men who are good and enjoy the love of God rebuke evildoers to their face. But when evildoers are not present, such people neither criticize them nor allow others to do so. Oh, there's a good one. All these are just great pearls. Think about it. Apply it to yourself. Men who are good enjoy the love of God, rebuke evil doers to their face. But when evil doers are not present, such people neither criticize them nor allow others to do so. How about that? How about that for integrity, for honesty, for authenticity? That's something that's missing today. Oh, we'll get real bold and nasty and condescending on the internet, right? On social media, because no one's seeing us. We're not sitting there in someone's presence. We're sitting in the 
supposed anonymity and safety of our basements or our bedroom with our computer or our phone, firing off these nasty Scud missiles, speaking to the whole world as if we're some kind of pompous, omniscient person that everyone needs to hear our condescending opinion. It's incredible how that happens. But what if we were face to face with that person that we're criticizing and being so nasty towards? Would we talk the same way? It shows that we have a kind of a systemic hypocrisy about us. And social media, for all of its glory, is actually engendering that a lot in us. We need to be reading the monks and stepping back and taking stock of ourselves. Because he says here that if someone is doing something wrong, you, you're up front with them. You, you're, you're authentic, you're honest, you're genuine, you're sincere, you're telling them to their face. But you're not going to just complain and gossip behind them and rip them apart. That's the easy way, the cowardly way. And yet that is so common. Let's admit it. So easy to beef and bellyache about somebody. But then when you're in their presence, we don't have the guts, the integrity to tell them diplomatically, yet forthrightly, what's wrong when there is something really wrong. Well, here we have the reminder for that from one of the great spiritual masters. He said, when talking with others, all harshness should be avoided. For modesty and self-restraint adore an intelligent person even more than a young girl. An intellect that enjoys the love of God is a light that shines in the soul, just as the sun shines on a body. There is so much of this kind of wisdom. I only just gave you a little tiny, tiny sample, like a single hair on the head of the philokalia, the, some of the combined wisdom of the great spiritual masters of the Eastern churches and how urgent, as you can see, how urgent and relevant they are today. Get yourself a copy of the Philokalia. Have fun with it. Meditate with it. Pray with it. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!